0: Hello and welcome to the Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. The Local Leaders Podcast provides a platform for successful business owners to share their stories, their experiences, their advice, and their ideas in order to help our listeners achieve more success in their business and in their lives. Get ready, another great show is coming up. All right good afternoon ladies and gentlemen thank you for joining me i'm your host jeff johnson with the local leaders podcast and we are thrilled today to have from the great state of texas i'm a rillo uh, to be exact the big texan steak ranch and we've got uh, one of the owners bobby lee here with us today thank you bobby for being here we're glad to have you
1: jeff thank you so much and i'm excited about being on and getting to visit with you and Appreciate you thinking of the great stake of Texas with the big Texas Steak range.
0: Yes, sir. Right there on on the, um, 66, right?
1: Yep. Yep. That's the birthplace of it. And it was, uh, that's back when Route 66 was still running through here. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's so funny, Route 66 really gave us a lot of our heritage, uh, our, our lifeline and, and birthing rights on it. Because it was for that, uh, through the Texas panhandle, you got about a 197 mile strip that goes through it. Mm-hmm. and uh through that strip when you're going through the texas panhandle the east west travelers that had never been to texas it's like if you go to um, if you go to hawaii you want to see a girl on a grass skirt and, and and my dad had the vision of putting a cowboy out there because that's what people were looking for because he was definitely not from texas he was a yankee at heart so
0: uh, uh
1: it was it was a good combination and it worked well 61 years later
0: yes sir well well, speaking of which, 61 years is a long history and um uh, we, yeah, I want to open up the floor and just give you an opportunity to kind of introduce the, the business and tell us a little bit about your story and, um, you know, where it came from and where you are today. And, and feel free to, uh, you know, to, to talk about all the expansions that you've gone through and components of your business that you've added because you're, uh, you guys are unique. Uh, this is a destination, uh, not just a restaurant. Uh, or an RV park, or an event center, and, or a brewery, right? And what else am I missing? Go ahead, go ahead Bobby. Tell, tell us a little bit about it before I blow.
1: Well, my, my, my dad uh, was with Marriott back in the 50s, and he was going to places that were putting food on airplanes. And Amarillo, Amarillo at the time, back in the late 50s, was still on propeller service going through here, not jet service. So they moved him from dallas Love Field to Amarillo to put the food on the airplanes up here while the planes were being fueled. Then jet service came in, and uh, he got stuck in the middle of nowhere with a couple of kids in tow and kind of liking the area, kind of intrigued by it. And uh, he liked the Western flair because, like I said, he was from the Midwest. He was not a Texan by any means. And uh, he liked seeing the the real cowboys that were here because at the time we had a huge uh, stockyard. It was one of the biggest working stockyards in America. And my dad would ask around town, where where, where do people go to eat with the cowboys? Where's the big steakhouse? And people would look at him like, oh, you know, we're, we're upscale. We're like Little Dallas type thing. And they they really shunned the, the, their heritage of the Western motif. They weren't proud of it like my dad wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So he put in a little place on Route 66. It was a Western-style steakhouse. It really, truly wasn't true cowboy-ish or anything else It had a Western flair to it but with the stockyards being two blocks away from there and 500 cowboys getting off work and having the horses in the back of their pickups and, and, and the cabans to carry the horses. He, uh, he was smart enough to have them stop. in. he started selling nickel beer and he would cash their paychecks. They used to pay him daily. Wow. And, uh, the personality, of these big cowboys was, was just so intriguing to him. And it was also intriguing to the other tourists that were stopping in there. And, uh, as the, it developed over the years, he, he started realizing that he had a show inside, a, inside his restaurant when these cowboys got off work. So he put a big table right in front of the grill in, in the dining room. And he let these cowboys sit there and do whatever they wanted to do and brag about the, who's got the biggest muscle, who could drink beer the quickest, who could eat the most calf fries. And it, it, was, it was part of the, the persona that, would, that was started. And he was smart enough to sit back and let these guys do the show for him. And the more they bragged, the more uh, uh, their paycheck was, the more nickel beer he would sell them. And, and uh, it got to the point that it was, it was becoming a regular big feature on Route 66 coming through here, that the people coming through the Texas panhandle through that strip, this is where the Cowboys are at. And it started building from there. And he just continued to sit back and watch them and let them do that. In fact, our, our big uh, Mickey Mouse of the Big Texan, which is the free 72-ton sake challenge, was put together and it came from these cowboys that were at this table because they were amazed at at who could eat the most, who could, who, who could do the most. And my dad said, look, next Friday, I got 12 seats here and I'm going to, everybody put up $5 for one of the seats and whoever eats the most one pound steaks, I'm going to bring out one pound steak over an hour. I'm going to declare them champion and they get to keep the money that's in the hat. So he had 12 eaters fight for those positions and he started bringing out one pound steaks and it was buzzed all over Amarillo and, and the highway that this contest was going on. And one cowboy ate a couple steaks real quick and he said, well, I want, I want one of them baked potatoes and bring me one of them shrimp cocktails. And he looked at the other guys, he was showing off. And he said, bring me a salad and some bread. And He just kept eating at the end of the contest. He had done four and a half, one pound steaks, which is 72 ounces, eating a baked potato, shrimp cocktail, roll butter and a tossed salad. My dad said, from this day forward, anybody that can eat this meal gets it for free. And in December of 1960, the contest started. And mm-hmm. 61 years later, it's the same rules, uh, same percentage of people that win, one out of every six men, one out of every two women. But that's, that's where the big Texan came from. That's where it got the persona it has. And that's what the, the magic of the place is, is that it's not about what we think of ourselves as Texas. It's what other people that come through that their perception of Texas, do we get on the tables and drink tequila and, and dance? Yeah, you sure we do have at it. And that's <laughs> that's the fun of the place. And, and believe me, every every, every year, it's, it gets bigger and bigger. And it's, it's neat because this far down the line with the restaurant, we're seeing second and third and even fourth generation grandparents come in with their grandkids talking about they were brought to the big Texan back in the 60s. With their grandparents, so it's it's a real neat a real neat place to watch the evolution of your customer base grow up from from years past. It really is. It's a lot of fun.
0: Well, it it sounds it sounds amazing, and you know just from looking at your website, which is very well done, um, and talking with you, you know a couple of times ahead of time here, it's it's a place I would love to visit. I have never never been to Amarillo, um, but if I'm in Texas again, anywhere near. Uh, you guys I'm definitely coming to to check it out and, and I was just thinking while you were talking I'm thinking big 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 because it's Texas right that, how big is the restaurant itself I mean it looks huge from what
1: I can see we can seat uh, about 600 people in there at a time goodness gracious we'll feed about uh, anywhere between 1500 to 1800 to shift so we do about 3000 people a day average over there it's uh it's just depends on on how, how far we're willing to stretch the boundary for people to sit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've seen them out in the parking lot eating I've we've we've seen a lot in the time. It's it's a magical place because people that get there, they've uh, they get there and, and they they they've heard about it, they they've seen it on TV. We've been so fortunate in those areas and mm-hmm. and they get there and they're genuinely excited and they, and they bought off. On the fact that they're there it's like they get to disney world or you get to universal exactly. studios and you're saying you know here's my credit card feed me entertain me take care of my kids and and that's the beauty of it so it goes back into a responsibility as far as a restaurant tour that to get past the hype that people walk in and it it's not good the service isn't good you know that it is becomes a, a tourist trap and that's the one thing that people walk into saying ah, probably tourist trap but when they eat there and they see the service and the personality of the place and they say those three magical words we we'll be back that's that's what makes it all worth it and that's why the the marketing of it is divided divided into internal marketing and external marketing internal marketing is your food and your service external marketing is getting the horse to water and it's uh, it's it's a real good relationship that that i that me and my brother who's hopefully going to be here before the interview's over with is working on a refrigeration on the internal marketing part Mm -hmm. Uh but it's it's a good combination because it gives me a chance to market the thing as well as when I get busy, we all put on aprons and it's time to go to work. But uh it's like uh he keeps us off the obituary, and my job is to keep us on the front page. So that's how the relationship's been set up, and and, you know, for years and years, and it's it's worked out really well because we do put on a a big show there at Big Texan, and people eat while they're watching the show, and that's what's fun about it.
0: Well, that, that, uh, that you guys have a great story. And, um, and, and as you, you know, before, when I was preparing to, to come on today, one of the things I was going to ask you about, because many of our listeners, uh, are also in family run businesses and this is a, a family run business, uh, with Bobby and Danny, his brother who, um, who own and operate the, you know, this multitude of businesses that are here, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, um, how difficult is it to, to own, to operate and run the business, you know, with family and, and what kind of unique challenges have have you guys uh, come run into and kind of how have you gotten past it? I think that'll help a lot of our family owned businesses out there because you know how that is with family, right?
1: It, it is. And it's one of those things that when, uh, has it always been pleasant? No. In fact, there was eight siblings originally that, uh, that was part of my family, our family or nuclear family at the house. And, uh, we all grew up in the restaurant business. We got uh, picked up from school and you're taken from school to the big text. And if you had homework, right. you went to the accountant's office. If not, you were given a task, whether it be peeling shrimp or bread and calf fries, or if you were in trouble, you know, so which of the league kids was in trouble, we get stuck at sink with the homeless person so mm-hmm. it's always easy to spot that but that was pretty much our our daily routine of, of working like that and we all grew up in the restaurant business uh, the shareholder agreement when my dad passed in 1990 was not an ideal situation for the family and uh, it kind of bound us at the wrists uh, with the other siblings in the other hand you got to hold the knife and over 17 years, it was it was sad because um, the relationships that we developed with brothers and sisters throughout the, the years growing up, it was, it was pretty much severed during that time. And what happened was it got to the point that my brother Danny and I bought everybody out uh, for what they requested on it. And we took over the operations back in early 2000 and were able to do what we needed to do with it. Uh, we both knew it was great material, but it was sad that the family itself wasn't able to. To, to pull through the deal and uh, communication and relationship with them now is very strained. Still, it's uh, but it's uh, part of the business. Uh, you have to have a business side and you have to have a, a family side. And, and no matter what you say or who you are or how well you think you know your your own siblings, if you're going in the restaurant business, you better be prepared to do what's right for the business. And it's it's sad to say, but if you're going to do it, <laughs> learn that before you open the doors of the restaurant, because once you get open, it. it it gets real ugly.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's great advice. And, um, um, you know, uh, having having a solid operating agreement and, and I would imagine, you know, like you talked about with uh, with Danny, you guys have have kind of your own role that set aside that, that you do within the business and not stepping on each other um, is probably what makes it work uh, work. And you know, I think that's great advice for any family-run business, whether it's a husband-wife team, which we have a number of restaurateurs uh, that we that we've talked to, uh, as well as that I work with regularly, that that struggle with the you know similar issues. So, uh, yep. congratulations on, on you know what you guys have done. Sorry to hear that some of the other family um, issues are were there, and that um, that they're no longer part of that of the business, but. Uh, the business is rocking and rolling. And, you know, I, I can't help but uh, be amazed every time I, I, I look at it, look at the website and I see all the different businesses within the business. So just to kind of say it one more time, not only is this a restaurant, but this is a brewery. Um, you've got RV um, facility as part of the part of the operation. You've got a motel um you've got an event center and i can't remember if i miss. am i missing anything
1: <laughs> well there's a lot of little spin-off businesses but it's well the one nice thing about it is growing up in the business and knowing the business the way we do we've been able to what works with this uh why would you want to be in the rv business well it's tourist and the fact that we can lease them a motel or lease them a space for the night for their RV. And then we get the opportunity to pick them up in one of our longhorn limousines, oh, yeah. bring them down to the restaurant, uh, feed them, uh, let them drink whiskey, let them buy, buy stuff in the gift shop. It's, it's a nice, there's a nice, everything flows together. Same thing with the hotel, same thing with the horse hotel. Uh, it's, it's all backed up on product knowledge, what we can do, what we can't do, what we want to get into, what we don't want to be in. And that's the nice thing about it. Over the years, it's it's one of those things that you're kind of like you get on a ladder and you start looking up and you're grabbing the next ring and all of a sudden you keep climbing and climbing. And then all of a sudden, 10, 20 years later, you stop and you, you look down and you go, oh my God, how did how we get up here? It's it's one of those things that in, in the growth of everything and the hustle bustle of it, you don't realize how you're growing. And uh, problem, one of the problems that we're, very conscious of is the fact that we are sometimes too much hands-on in uh, in the operations, and we see it from that level. And, and it's okay to jump over to an RV park or to a concert venue, but when it's all said and done, it's it's a lot of extra work. And 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 what we do, good or bad, you trade your time for money, and that's that's the trade-off. And it gets to the point, especially when you start hitting your fifties and sixties, that how much more do you want to take on? How much more time do you want to trade for money? And that's, that's a question that everybody that is lucky enough to be in that position or blessed enough to be in that position has to consider.
0: Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And um, it kind of leads me to, to thinking about, you know, most of the time when we're talking to restaurant owners specifically, which you know, a lot of our audience uh, is made up of, um, you know, when they think of growth, it's. It's number of units. It's okay. Let's add locations or let's franchise, right? But you guys took a took a whole different approach and you know created this um, this destination, you know, as opposed to expanding your footprint, so to speak, uh, into other locations. How did you How did you manage to gain the the operational expertise for these other businesses? I mean, a hotel is. Um, and an RV park, all of those types of things are, um, you know, are linked, but they're not necessarily a restaurant. So did you, did you go out and find other people or did you learn it yourselves? How did that work?
1: A little, a little bit of both, but one thing that it's you is you look for a telescope type feel on, on any of the businesses that you do, any ancillary business that we do Will it fit into what we're doing? Will it work? How, how much more business can we get? If you want to use the word double dip, can we double dip this with the big tax to do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, where does it lead the gift shop? How big can we make the gift shop? Uh, how is it staffed? Uh, what's the best person we can get that we can have them buy the merchandise, have a style that we want and make it all work? So there's a lot of little things that you learn as you're going. And and believe me, there's been some times that we've just crashed and burned. Uh, It's just one of those things that everything we've done is is good. And so many times we'll think we have a great idea because we see it somewhere and then we bring it back and it falls flat on its face or a menu item. And you think, oh, this is so good. These people are eating pasta all the time. We need to put pasta on our menu. But (laughs) it goes back to the basic basics, steak, potato, beer, whiskey the Texas experience. So no matter what we think we, we've learned, it, it all goes back to will it sell at the Big Texan? And it's not about, as, as owners of restaurants, it's not about what we like, if we're really the cowboys, if we like the Western way, it's about what the customers want and what they want to buy. And so many times learning, learning that over the years, it, it, it's, it comes from sometimes just sitting on the front porch listening to what people are saying, uh, mm-hmm. uh, watching, watching what they're looking at, what they're seeing, what their perception is. And then of course, the best thing of all is to go back to the dish room and look at the dish table and see what food's coming back. What's eaten, what's not eaten. Are you, you given big bigger proportions? Are you given not enough food? I mean, are people griping about 10% of people? My dad always said, if 10% of the people aren't complaining about your prices, your prices are too low. Uh, so it's there's lots of little things that you can watch and monitor in your restaurant. What's working and what's not, and that's that's why you'll see me and my brother both at the dish table watching. You know what's coming back. Is that too big of a steak? Uh, surprisingly, that I guess with America and, and and everybody eating so much now and getting heavy like they're talking about, it seems like our steaks aren't getting smaller. They're getting bigger and bigger. You know, forty ounce, fifty ounce, sixty ounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the appetite for America is, it's growing. Of course, when you come into the big Texan, you, you are, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, but you're at the beef capital of the world. So you want the biggest steak and, the, and the, that you can get your hands on the coldest beer and you want to be a Texan while you're there. And that's, that that's what's fun about the big Texan. It, it allows that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, again, it just, just makes me, me want to pack up and get my wife and I to Texas, so we can uh, we can sample that, and and it, it's one of those meals. You know, when you think about going to the Big Texan, that that you don't eat all day before you go, and I'm sure that's the the strategy that many people employ: is uh, hey, let's get as hungry as we can because we're going to eat big when we get over there today. Um, so I was about to ask you about you know the maybe the type of metrics or the things that that um, you and Danny really look at in terms of being able to, to run the, the day-to-day piece of your business. But I think you might've answered me. I, um, you know, when you talk met- metrics, you're, you're typically talking numbers and ratios and all this kind of stuff and what's important to you, but it sounds like you're getting that visual cue by, by watching, you know, watching what's going on, watching what food's coming back. Are there any, you know, would, would you, would you advise business owners, to do more of that or would you uh, would you think number crunching is more important
1: both uh whenever it comes to restaurants you know we we talk to restaurant schools we'll talk to different uh culinary programs uh university of texas uh university of houston uh oklahoma state university and it's really hard to understand why kids would want to go into the restaurant business for my brother myself I mean I, I know that uh, television glamorizes the business they have uh, these celebrity chefs that they have and, and oh, yeah. you know that they can perform all this stuff or turn a restaurant around in and, one and, and, and but there is so much more that goes into a restaurant than what you see on tv it's uh, you work as much from shoulders up as you do shoulders down uh, it's and it's about controlling the controllables you know the fixed cost or fixed cost mm but your meat price, uh, how can we get the food cheaper? And, and it's nice that they text them because everything we do is based on projections. We know exactly how many pans of potatoes to have in at any hour of the day. We know how many bus put on when our managers get vacation when we do when we can do maintenance. And it's all about based on past business history that you can base that on. My brother has a tremendous, uh, ability to hedge meat, uh, uh, and we, we're very fortunate. That we can buy two to three hundred boxes of boxed beef at a time, and we have the freezer facility that we can freeze it into where we know exactly when top sirloin is going to be at the lowest price during the year, and we can cut our deals on that. So we're able to do that. And in some cases, especially with the during the COVID time, we were really lucky that Danny was able to buy you know the top sirloin, the ribeye, the fillets, the t-bones, the inside rounds when he did because those prices shot up. I mean, to a level that that people were coming to us wanting to buy our meat. I mean, in one week, we if we would not have bot, when we did, it was four hundred fifty thousand dollars. And wow. when you're when, when you're doing eight nine cents on the dollar, ten cents, especially with a heavy steakhouse like that, I mean, every penny counts. It it really does, and that's that's why you know being able to hedge on meat buying, taking a look, knowing when you're schedule your employees stagger in time, it's those little things controlling the controllables is is really what, what it's all about the restaurant business and, and if you don't watch that stuff it, it'll kill you labor is the most unpleasant part about about the restaurant business it's it's you're satisfied with with hiring people but but you know when, when you do the volume we do that the burnout it's, it's real apparent and it seems like anymore 20 years ago it really didn't happen but now you know, your good servers, I mean, they're fried within two or three years. And it used to be you hang on for 10 years, no matter how much money they're making, if they're walking out here with three or $400 a night, the burnout, you have to consider that within the psychology about, the, about what gets into their head, why they become bitter. And and during this pandemic, uh, there was so difficult to know when to schedule, when not to schedule. And it's it was a big. Big problem, especially when you're saying at 25% of the state allows, 50%. That was hard, keeping the doors open and learning how to do uh, carry out. Uh, nowadays, with the labor not coming in anymore and deciding they don't want to come to work tonight, that's that's the hardest part we've ever been in, in the restaurant business. In 61 years of business is having to deal with people unappreciative of their jobs, of even telling you they're not going to make a shift tonight, that night. Uh, and washing dishes and bussing tables—it's—it's it's part of it. And, in, and as an owner, you go roll up your sleeve and put your big boy pants on. You go to work because it's—that's your responsibility. And those people are there to spend money with you. You have to take care of them like there's nothing bad going on to keep that experience of the big Texan alive.
0: That—that that is a—that's that, a great point. And um, every every restaurant owner that I've talked to, um, well, really since COVID, I mean, that you, you've had you've had just one one thing after another that's hit. First off, it was COVID, you know, and the restrictions. Uh, um, then everyone had to try to find a way to to move to off-premises dining and and get the curbside, the takeout, the delivery, you know, that that maybe was just a very, very small piece of the business before. And now suddenly it's it's 90% of the business, you know, right during the, the first of COVID. Um, I'm curious how is your off-premises business? changed and do you foresee it it remaining that way or is the experience of the big texan so strong that you know people are coming back in and and filling up the uh, seats in the restaurant now
1: we are so glad that they are coming back into the restaurant and we don't have to rely on that because the experience of the big texan when they walk in that front door and say wow this is this is the place we weren't getting that with, with curbside and carryout. I, I right. totally despise that. And the experience of eating a steak in your car versus a steak in the main dining room of the big Texan and the and, uh, homemade beer we have there going looking at the big rattlesnake in the gift shop, they were missing all that. And like yeah. I said, for those six weeks, we weren't able to offer that. But the second we opened back up last uh, May, it started and it has not stopped on it. And with the gas prices being good and, and airlines doing what they did and continuing to do what they do, more people are at, are out on the roads than we've ever seen before. I mean, we're at 40, 50%. And I mean, that's over 2019. That's not over 2020. So it's, it's uh, our business and, and the people traveling through geographically Amarillo is in such a good position. Uh, we have- awesome more hotel rooms per capita than anywhere else in the in the state of texas and our occupancy in those rooms is the highest in the state of texas so the people are driving through and they're on their way to the big wide open areas new mexico colorado wyoming and that's why we're seeing we've seen such a huge increase in uh road business and it's it's wonderful that people are out right now and they thank us uh they thank us for being open and, and being normal again and thank God you guys are still here. So it's, it's a compliment. I just wish that we would have more people to be able to take care of them. I mean, whenever you put a two and a half hour wait and people have been in the car all day with their kids, I mean, your heart goes out to them, but hopefully, you know, they get through it and, and we, things go back to normalcy. Yeah.
0: It, it, you know, I I so bad want to ask you, how do we solve that staffing issue? Um, You know, I just, and I'll throw it out there, but I, I, I've yet to, to, to hear anyone with the great solution. Um, what, what are you guys? Do, are, are, are you doing? I mean, what are you doing to try to keep your staffing at levels that you want them at?
1: Well, with the big Texan having five major dining areas, we're able to go off with how, how many people we have that's going to be there that night, and in the kitchen, you know who's going to be there and what positions we want. We've thought about dropping down some items on our menu. We haven't gotten to that point yet uh we've also talked about doing a different type of service if we drop to this level when and if that happens which we people would walk in place or order and then we take the steak at the plate uh there's lots of considerations but so far we've been just beyond busy and we've been pretty lucky with keeping a staff compared to a lot of the restaurants i mean we've uh, we've done extremely well during this time
0: yeah well that kudos to you guys for being able to do that and um you know, it, it is difficult turnover in the industry always, you know, haven't been an issue in, in many, many places, maybe not the big Texan, but, you know, across the country. Um, but today it's, it's definitely a challenge and, and owners are looking for solutions and ideas. And I was talking to one uh, a couple of days ago and he said, yeah, I just, I just spent $1,200 last week on, um, on uh, staffing ads, you know, on, um, it wasn't LinkedIn, but on one of the staffing, uh, sites, and I say, well, what did you know? What was your ROI? What, what did you get out of it? Not much. He said we got a lot of resumes, but nobody actually really wanted a the job. They were just sending resumes, you know, as a way to collect unemployment. So it's yeah. it's a shame, and that gets us into a whole nother political landscape that we won't try to solve here today. Um, but. It is a shame, hopefully things will get better real soon and uh, people will get back to work and, and we'll be able to go where we need to go. Um, so I, we've, we've been on about 35 minutes. Um, again, I want to be respectful of your time, but but I thought I'd ask you just a couple more questions and, and see if we can squeeze a few more nuggets. I've been taking notes while you were talking and I'm gonna go back and listen and, um, and, and get some more, but... Um, from from a challenges standpoint that, that you guys have had had to deal with outside of, of COVID and outside of staffing. Um, and and maybe I want to try to go back to that growth as you moved into to new businesses to, you know, expand your business overall and, and to, to better serve your, your clientele. Um, what would you recommend to entrepreneurs who have, you know, a, a one or two location restaurant, for example, or one or two location, what whatever, and they want to expand it. Uh, what, what would you tell them or kind of the, some of the things to consider or some of the most important things that they should be thinking about?
1: Go home and if you got kids at home, go look at them and understand that, that your time that you're talking about expanding restaurants with, that's time that's going to cut into time with them and they need to make sure of that walk by the bar and make sure that they're on the right side of the bar and know what side they need to be on. It's uh, it's, it's very challenging in that the time that you're going to trade uh, in for you hope money, it's uh, better be careful. And, and you better look at the labor force, uh, what you got. And I mean, just because you hit it good on one location doesn't mean it's going to work on another things that go into factoring. Where is your, where is your biggest customer base coming from? Is it the highway? Is, is it local? Is it a factory next door? Understand your market is, is so, so important. We do uh, we do about 78 billboards a year, and it says free 72 on stake big tax steak ranch, two hours ahead. And we know how to market to our customer. We know where they're coming from, the majority of them. The mm-hmm. biggest difference we had right now is the fact that we used to have about 28% international that would come in from big tax and to go to you know, the Route 66. Uh, love the Route 66 Mother Road, but we know where to market to, uh, we know what they're looking for, and like I said, we know what time they're going to be there. If you're going to be looking at multiple locations, that stuff, you need to be able to recite it and understand everything that's going on in those areas. And then the price of looking at another building, uh, does it have a grease trap? Does it have an exhaust hood? Is, is that up to date on code on that that type thing? your lease, your parking. I mean, the last thing you want to do is to get in the place and you don't have enough parking to get your permits to open or plumbing or, or any necessities. Is it something that's hard to get to off the highway? Is it easy to get to? Uh, what are the local advertising rates that you're going to be facing? What are the meat prices at that time? Can you buy in a commissary type fashion where you can have a place to store it at to where when you need it, you can issue it out? There's so many little things like that, but More importantly than anything else, I would look at the labor market first and foremost to see what you have as far as people that want to work and are they working. And especially in this day and age with this uncertainty of the labor market, I would be terrified to put another place in and have to rely on staffing that thing because there's nothing in your life that's harder than opening a restaurant, no matter what you say. It's one of the things that you're given in your life only two or three or four or five times that you can do that some people really enjoy it but when you open a restaurant the stress of what you put yourself through on something like that it's uh you're not getting light in your lifetime that many to do and like I said by doing that and being away from your family being away from home sleeping in a different bed be careful with that because like i said you will often trip trip over your own feet on that
0: you know, that, that is uh, sage advice, right, um, for, for those who are thinking about it. And you're right. And, and what surprises me is every day I, I talk to, to people, and, and I just was talking to a gentleman earlier today. He said he's opening a new, re- new location next week. He's got, I think, four, and he's going to five. And just flippantly, you know, he he, made, he, he said that, and it was like he's you know, either he's got confidence, uh, which I'm sure he does, um, and, you know, he's done done all that prerequisite work, um, but it just scares me. And and I think you just uh, reiterated that that whole fact that it's, um, you know, it's tough. It, it would be tough to staff a, a, a new business in any part of the country at the moment, it seems like. Yes. But they're, you know, they're there. They are opening new restaurants. So for those of you who are thinking of doing that and, and moving forward, uh, Bobby's giving you a whole list. You go back and listen to that again of things to think about between leases and parking and commissary and, and you know all those other things that you mentioned. So I think that's a great piece of advice. Uh, but the number one takeaway I've got so far is, and I, or I noted it earlier, you're trading time for money. Um, I haven't ever thought about it that way, frankly, and, and I like that. I, uh, with your permission, I might use it again. <laughs> <laughs> like
1: I like said it just depends on what what their what their view on retirement is. I mean, my brothers and I, you know. There's... If You sell it. You sell your business. If you're lucky enough to do that before you get too old, you know you'll have some years. Uh, if not, then, then retirement will be being carried out under a white sheet. So it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those type of decisions you got to make.
0: Well, well, Bobby, what are you, what are you guys thinking about? And and I know we're, you know, you've got to be very restricted now, and because of of all the challenges out there. But what's next for the big Texan?
1: What's next with Big Texan? Great question. Uh, The one thing that uh, we've gotten into, and all us old people uh, my age, uh, having to deal with social media and uh, dealing with that, we've been real fortunate on our website, bigtexan.com, that uh, we always had a camera on the stage of the steak eaters that was put up back in the 90s. And uh, the one thing we've learned with YouTube and the ability to expand on that is that Our 28% is is of international markets, love Route 66, and they love the Big Texan to know about it. We've been very lucky in in being able to be on lots of international shows. Uh, We call it the live stream. And if you go to bigtexan.com, you go to 70 John Steak live stream. And we've expanded that uh, through through the next generation of the Big Texan. My boys have been able to work with that and develop a way that the whole world can watch people eat 72 on steak now we even have people that will call us if they can't get a good picture on that on the thing or something's off a little bit they'll call and say you know we're wagering this is a big wager thing at our bar that we, we have you all up on the screen and we're, we always bet on if they're going to do it or not it's a big deal at our bar people come in just for that and they watch you know tv all day long if they're the internet and and they bet on who's going to do it or not. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'd have
0: never so, thought of that, but that sounds awesome. I'd love to see that in our local bar.
1: We we didn't either. I mean, we had no idea about that. But I mean, people sit there for hours, which is much to, to our surprise. People sit there for hours and watch people eat seventy Chinese, watch the dining room on this live shot. So <laughs> we're developing every day more and more into into the YouTube that people love to watch this contest internationally and nationally on that. So. That seems to be kind of a, a, a big thing going right now. I think we're going to be expanding the RV quite a bit because there's been so many people yeah. during the COVID that have bought RV par- RVs and, uh, and they, RV parks. And uh, we're seeing a huge increase in that business. Uh, so we're excited about that. And, and then the entertainment part of it, Danny and I call it entertainment. Uh, the fact that we can do concerts and we can tie in a package for people. They come, they eat at the big text and they get to shop there. And then they get to go see a concert from some Texas artist or some artists going through here. There's lots of people, lots of bands that go from the casinos in New Mexico to Oklahoma or they're going to Branson or Las Vegas and they're going through Amarillo. So we've been able to contact great talent and complete the package for people to stay an extra night in Amarillo and see a concert under the stars. Amazing. So,
0: Sounds amazing
1: we're looking forward
0: well look i've i've got one other question and then and of course you're open to to share anything else that, that you may think about but um i wanted i wanted to talk just a, a second about mentors uh and or educational resources uh, over the years um sound like you you guys have been heavily involved on the education side with the universities and and other schools um did you have any particular mentors or uh, education or, or resources that, that you guys sought out over the years that you would recommend other um, people looking to succeed, um, you know, might follow suit?
1: Uh, the biggest help we got uh, was, was something that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we were, when we were in school, we got picked up and we had no choice but to go to the Big Texan. So we developed, I don't want to be in the restaurant business and, and anything we could get into. And mine was sports, because if I got into sports and played football, I didn't have to go to the big Texan after, to work after, after school. So it was a good thing for me. And I went away as far as I could because, and I got uh, going into the health clubs working out uh, during the off season and started understanding that I had a talent and realized what my talent was, which was uh, marketing, public relations, promotions and that was my part of my dad that I got and uh, it took me getting real far away from the big Texan and a couple really good uh, sales managers that that made me realize what talent I had and having a food knowledge plus that and then having a brother that's incredibly talented in in food and beverage uh, when we got back uh, after my father passed away that we were able to to do that but Getting away and and realizing your talent and developing that talent and how you can incorporate that into foods, food service, the hospitality industry, has been the best best mentor or any education I got and realizing that I, I can go out there and I can create events, whether it be a stadium contest, whether it be the internet with with my voice uh, to to promote, to learn new ways to promote the Big Texan, because people know about it, and every time that bell rings when they hear Big Texan that's what you want to do. And that's, we've been real lucky with that. And having a real strong base with food and service through my brother who studied with some, not studied, he worked with my uncle's restaurant in Kansas city and he got his best education too. When he moved away from the big Texan and, and was able to get away and realize, you know, what a great, what a great setting we had for that. And then putting our talents together made made a big difference back in the nineties.
0: Well, like I said, early on, you guys kind of have your, you've got each got your own role within the, the business. And, and I think that's, Um, A critical piece. Like I said, you're not stepping on each other and hopefully you're, well, your success would say that you figured out a way to, to, to to make that work, you know, between you guys and and make yourselves successful. So congratulations.
1: There's there's still times, you know, like I said, I'm going to call robust debate that, you know, we'll go out (laughs) by the dumpster and we'll, we'll have a couple of (laughs) here and there, but uh, it's, it's, it's part of it because he's pushing for what he thinks is the best for the big Texan. And I'm pushing for what I think is best for the big Texan and wherever that lands, it's, it's a better product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, your, your experience is, uh, is amazing. I wish we could have uh, uh, had the opportunity um, to hear from Danny, but you tell him we missed him and maybe we'll catch him on a, (laughs) on a follow-up any parting words or last comments that, that you'd like to make about the big Texan or, Life in general.
1: Now, Jim, no, listen, I, I really appreciate it. I love what you're doing and, and I like the angle you're taking with it. Uh, I mean, lots of people, no matter who they are, you can learn and learn and learning never stops when, when you're in business. Anytime you think you know it all, then then you need to be out of business and you will be out of business. So always keeping your ears and eyes open and, and seeing new things that excite you and being able to come back. And uh, the best thing about being an independent restaurant person is is to be able to get an idea and go in there and, and watch it through fruition, through fruition. And regardless if it works or it doesn't work, the satisfaction of knowing that you got to have an idea and put it into action, that's a great feeling. That makes it all worthwhile.
0: Yes, sir, it does. And, and we are very thankful for you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to share your experience and, um, and the, the school of hard knocks that you've been through to get there. Uh, I know it was it was hard earned, uh, but well deserved success for for you guys at the uh, at the Big Texan, and we're just thankful that, that you were able to come on and share with us. Um, you know, I hope that we'll have another opportunity to to chat at some other some later point, maybe with some follow ups. But uh, we do appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much for being here, and to our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in today um, to hear from Bobby Lee and to. Um, you know, gain some insight from, from his knowledge and experience that he was able to share. We hope you'll tune back in. We are releasing new episodes every Monday and every Wednesday. So we hope you'll tune in again soon and um, get a little more education, learn a little bit more how to be successful uh, and to grow your success in life as well as in business. So I'm Jeff Johnson, your host of the Local Leaders Podcast. And again, thank you, Bobby. And we appreciate it and we wish you all the best. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Local Leaders Podcast. You can find us at www.jeffzpodcast.com or jeffzjohnson.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to come back every Monday and Wednesday for our next episode.